Trigger warning. This podcast may contain themes of suicide, violence, and drug use. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world. Episode 3, Out of the Blue. Previously on Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world, Father Paul vows to carry out the mission of keeping Tia and Rio apart, and he visits them each in their respective jobs, getting a feel for who these women are and to let them know he's on to them. His appearance raises great concern for both Tia and Rio, and the two each come home to find threatening notes, expressing that they need to carry out their suicidal attempts once and for all. On the night of June 7th, both Tia and Rio find themselves in states of extreme panic. The notes Tia and Rio received, along with the broken kitchen window for Tia and the now-ruined Simon the Bond poster in Rio's room, confirmed that their experiences with hell were real, and as their new reality sinks in, they both fear how much power hell now has over their lives. Dizzy to the point of feeling faint, Tia grips the kitchen counter just in time, her legs like jello. Kiki rushes to help her remain off the floor, and guides her to the nearest seat. The faintness continues until Tia realizes she's been holding her breath since she read the note. She lets out several short pants, followed by a couple of deep breaths. Kiki hands her a cup of water, and then proceeds to start carefully cleaning up the broken glass off the floor. T, what's going on? I've never seen you like this before. Tia mutters. It doesn't make sense. It's not possible. Kiki can't quite make out what Tia's saying, so she stops cleaning and makes herself comfortable beside her. She studies her best friend, her heart aching. Mrs. Johnson's loss has been devastating to both women, and she knows Tia doesn't need any more problems on top of her current grief. Hey, Kiki says, trying to get Tia's attention. Tia continues to mutter to herself, her voice low and frantic. Earth to Tia, can you please look at me? Kiki asks, clapping her hands once to try and snap her friend out of the weird trance she appears to be in. The clap makes Tia jump, and she looks over at Kiki, her expression full of worry. I'm sorry, did you say something? Yeah, I want to know what the hell is going on. Why are you receiving threats and having bricks thrown through your windows? I didn't even know you had enemies, Kiki says, trying to wrap her head around what possible trouble Tia could be in. Kiki. I don't know. I wish I could tell you that I pissed someone off, but logistically speaking, I don't have a clue. Well, somebody had to throw that brick. Somebody wrote that note. I want names. I want to know whose ass I need to kick, Kiki replies. Tia forces a smile. Hey, I'll be okay. We'll just have to patch up the window and move on. I don't want to dwell on this shit. Kiki is very surprised by Tia's answer. But, but... Tia immediately interjects, No. But... Kiki, I said no. Please, just drop it. But somebody did this. Somebody has to pay for... Tia violently shakes her head. No. No one has to pay. No one is getting their ass kicked. I asked you to drop it, please. Let it go. If I can, so can you. <sighs> 
Kiki sits back in her seat, stunned by Tia's reaction. Kiki folds her arms and stares at her best friend, clearly hoping to change her mind. Tia stares right back, her mind made up. Kiki finally lets out a frustrated sigh. <sighs> How can you just let this go? Whoever did this ruined your back door, and they sent what sounds like a threat. What did it mean? Finish what you started. What the hell did you start? Tia bounces up, the chair tipping slightly from the sudden movement, her anger getting the best of her. I didn't start anything, and I asked you to drop it. This note is just some bullshit to try and scare me. But it doesn't scare me. It just pisses me off. Tia huffs as she races up the stairs and goes into her bedroom, slamming the door shut behind her. She wants to scream. She wants to open her window and shout at the entire world to fuck off because everything just sucks. She's so outraged at the note and the fact that her house was vandalized. Tia's window suddenly bursts open on its own, and a heavy gust of wind invades her room. The wind quickly forms a mini tornado, spinning everything, including her. Her notebooks scatter, pages whipping around along with Tia's small personal belongings. Her bed shakes and twists, as does her large dresser. One of the drawers flies off its hinges and just misses colliding right into Tia, causing her to scream. Kiki pounds on the other side of the door, pleading with Tia to open up. And just as quickly as it all began, it suddenly stops. Kiki collapses into the room as the door opens with ease. She searches for Tia and crawls over to her, holding onto her friend for dear life as she takes in the sights before her. T, how did this happen? Are you okay? Tia shakes her head, letting herself fall into Kiki's embrace. Her sobs overpower her, causing her to shake violently. I'm so sorry, she wails. Kiki continues to hold her, rocking them back and forth. Shh, it's all right. I got you now. It's okay, she reassures her, all the while wondering how Tia's room could have gotten into this state in under three minutes. Back in Rio's room, Hugh peers over Rio's shoulder and reads the red sharpie message. Rose, what's this message all about? Her heart beating so fast it feels like it's in her throat, Rio is afraid to turn around to face Hugh. She knows she can't hide the fear in her eyes. She can't bear to tell Hugh how much she thinks she's fucked up. She doesn't know what to say, and as honest as she prides herself in being, this did not feel like something she wanted to burden Hugh or anyone else with. It's a sick joke. Somebody's playing a sick joke on me, that's all, Rio replies. She lets the message fall out of her hands and onto the floor. Her name is Allison. Rio sings quietly to herself. What? Hugh asks, trying to get Rio to turn so he can see her. Were you singing? Slowly, Rio turns around and gives a shy nod. Uh-huh. Hugh studies her, waiting for her to say something more. She feels her heart going back into her throat, her knees feeling weak, and Neil Diamond getting stuck in her head. Sweet Caroline! Rio gasps and covers her mouth with her hands. Hugh tries not to laugh, but he can't help himself. What are you doing? Rose, are you okay? With her hands still slightly covering her mouth, Rio says, Yeah? It's a nervous tick. I've had it since I was a kid. You sing when you get nervous? Yeah, 
but only songs with people's names. If it's a name, and it's a song, it's just, it comes right out of me. When I'm scared, or anxious, or, in this case, trying not to freak out about a very mean prank. Rose. That's hilarious. How did I not know about this before? Hugh asks, a shit-eating grin forming on his face. Well, I do it all the time at the store, but I blare music, and you just don't hear it. She replies, finally letting her hand fall and uncovering her mouth. Hugh wraps his arm around her, and the two move to sit down on Rio's small twin bed. Okay, your hilarious tick aside, who would pull a prank like this? Rose, this doesn't feel like a prank to me. That message sounds like a threat. I guess whoever did it has a really twisted sense of humor, Rio says, not wanting to discuss this further. You should probably go. I don't want this, um, prank becoming your issue. Hugh squints and moves so he can look her in the eyes. If this is some kind of joke, it's not sitting well with me. Someone broke into your home to write you a threatening message. I'm not leaving you alone, whether you like it or not, Hugh states, his voice stern. Rio can feel the butterflies return in her stomach and chest. She smiles at Hugh, grateful for his chivalry. I don't want to stay here, she says, and Hugh nods in agreement. Why don't you pack a bag and we'll head to my place? Then you can fill me in on who could possibly think this shit was funny, he says, standing up and moving to the doorway. Hugh looks around the trailer while Rio packs, which only takes a few minutes. Once they're back in Hugh's car, Hugh asks her, How long have you and Anita lived here? Rio stares out of the passenger side window, trying to stay calm despite her knowledge that her strange experiences yesterday must have actually happened. There is no other explanation, she thinks, before responding. I I'm sorry, Hugh. What did you ask me? He glances over at her, clearly worried about her and her safety. He had played along with the prank idea, but saw her body tremble when she read the note. He saw the terrified look in her eyes. Hugh senses that something happened to Rio yesterday. He wonders who would want to hurt her. The more he thinks about it, the angrier he becomes. I asked how long you and Anita lived there. Well, it's kind of funny, I guess. I used to live in the trailer next door to hers, but I moved in with her for good when I was 13. So, it's been about 17 years, she replies. Hugh turns and pulls into a long driveway. The house at the end of the driveway is a modest, single-family home with a rustic brick exterior and a decent-sized backyard. Wow, this is your house? Rio asks, her excitement clear as day. Hugh is highly amused by her attitude, but he's only getting started with his questions. He parks the car, turns off the engine, and shifts so he can look at Rio. Rose, can I ask how Anita became your guardian? Rio's heart sinks. She hates talking about her past, but she figures Hugh has a right to know. She wants to share her life with him, and she hopes he feels the same way. She takes a deep breath, exhales, then says, Yeah, so my dad never really had anything to do with me, and my mom was never exactly around. I mean, at least she tried and all sometimes. But for the most part, she left me alone constantly. Then one Christmas, Anita heard me crying because apparently I must have been crying louder than I thought, and she came in and gave me a really awesome Christmas that year. Next thing you know, 
I'm spending all my time with her, and by the time I was 13, my mom moved to Vegas on a whim, and I've only ever seen her once since. Hugh's eyes are wide, clearly having a hard time swallowing this pill of information Rio just told him. His lips turned to a slight frown before saying, I'm so sorry, Rose. You deserve so much better than that. I had no idea. Rio shrugs, not wanting to get emotional. It's okay. That's why Anita and I are so close. She's the mom I always wanted. Hugh's eyes water for a moment before he clears his throat and opens his car door. I'm glad you two found each other. She seems like a lot of fun, too. Who? Anita? Well, duh. She's the friggin' best, Rio says, wanting to shift the serious mood into a more playful one. They exchange a knowing smile before both getting out of the car. Rio takes in her surroundings and is loving every second of it as she follows Hugh to the back door. Hugh's long-cemented driveway beautifully complements a lush green lawn with high, well-trimmed hedges on either side of his house. They are currently standing on a wooden deck with a three-seat swing and a large grill next to a small station full of different cooking utensils and a couple of propane tanks. There's a fire pit not too far from where they're standing, set in the middle of the backyard, and what looks like a mini forest behind Hugh's house. Now, Rose, please keep in mind that I didn't have time to clean up, he says as he unlocks the back door and holds it open for Rio. Rio purposefully rolls her eyes at him, knowing full well he's a neat freak. They go inside, and Hugh continues with, Now, don't get too excited. It's not like it's a five-star hotel or anything, he laughs, watching as Rio doesn't appear to hear a word he says. She's too busy gawking at everything she sees, taking in every nook and cranny. Would you like a tour? Rio nods excitedly, making Hugh smile as she follows up with, Yes, please. She moves to be beside Hugh, and he reaches for her hand. He takes her left hand into his, caressing it softly before he lets his fingers slide into hers, holding her hand. This is the kitchen, nothing too fancy here. And over here is the dining room table, which I rarely ever use, so please excuse the mess. This causes Rio to laugh, considering the mess is a few pieces of paperwork neatly stacked on one end of the long table. Hugh is serious as always, but he's happy Rio is enjoying herself. It eases him up a bit. As they walk hand in hand, Hugh gives her the full tour, which includes a big open living room with a large sectional and one separate reclining chair, and a TV that looks like it would never fit into Rio and Anita's trailer, even if they really tried. They go over to a door attached to the kitchen, which leads to the basement, where there is a half-bath and a few old arcade games, as well as an air hockey table. Holy shit, Hugh! You have a mini arcade down here? I didn't know you were into this stuff, Rio remarks, her hand squeezing his. The two of them then head up the stairs, back through the living room, and up another flight of stairs to get to the second floor of the house. There's a small bedroom being used as storage, another small bedroom that Hugh has set up as an office that mimics the one he has at his store, a full bathroom, and then a master bedroom with a perfectly made bed, and another full bathroom only accessible by this room. You have a beautiful home, Rio says, her sincerity as endearing as ever to Hugh. I'm glad you like it, Rose. Feeling bold, especially since she's now looking at Hugh's large and empty bed, still holding Hugh's hand, Rio turns to kiss Hugh. Hugh kisses her back, and the two become entwined. As their kissing becomes more heated, they inch over to the bed together. 
Rio lands on the bed first, with Hugh on top of her. She wraps her arms and legs around him, pulling him as close to her body as she possibly can. Hugh can feel his excitement grow. He kisses her neck while tenderly slipping his right hand underneath Rio's shirt. Rio uses her mouth to tug on one of Hugh's earlobes, then makes a line of kisses all the way down Hugh's neck before tugging at Hugh's shirt to remove it. Once Hugh's shirt is off, Rio realizes she's incredibly nervous. She's been with several men in an intimate way before, and most of them were older men too, but something about this time feels different. She ogles Hugh's bare chest, his arms large and strong, the hair on his chest thick and identical to the hair on his head. He clearly works out, and she's the most turned on she can ever remember being. Not even her hellscape fantasy could get Rio as heated as she was in this very moment. Hugh carefully removes Rio's shirt, exposing her ample bosom that's currently rocking a sexy red bra. He glides his index and middle finger along the top of her breasts and down her bare stomach, her milky white skin soft and glowing. Their eyes meet, the anticipation strong. Hugh wants her, and she wants him. As he leans in for another passionate kiss, it occurs to him just how much he loves her. Since the first day he met Rio, there was a light inside of her that brilliantly casted away all the shadows that haunted him. He had thought he had been in love before, but Rio proved to him that his past marriage had just been an infatuation, nothing more and nothing less. It is his past, though, that causes him to stop and pull away from his beloved Rose. She sees his hesitation and asks in a breathy voice, Hugh, what's wrong? Rio is on cloud nine. She can feel her blood pulsating, every fiber of her being turned on by the man she's had a crush on since she went in for a job interview two years ago. Hugh slowly stands up, his expression somber. Rio sits up, nervous. Did I do something? His expression softens a bit at her remark. God, no. It's just... Rose, you really mean a lot to me. Would you be mad if we take this slow? She smiles up at Hugh. You mean a lot to me, too. I'm fine with taking it slow. Just as long as you stop tempting me and put your shirt back on. Hugh lets out a nervous laugh. <laughs> That's fair. He gets dressed and Rio follows suit. They head back down the stairs and make themselves comfortable together on Hugh's couch. Back at the Johnson residence, Tia and Kiki are just finishing up their maintenance of Tia's room. Everything appears to be in order once more, just as Tia finishes rearranging her numerous notebooks in their proper sequence. Kiki fixes the last crooked picture on the wall and can't help but feel sad when she sees Mrs. Johnson's always cheery face staring back at her. There you go, T. Good as new, Kiki says, trying to remain upbeat. Thanks for all your help. I'm sorry I snapped at you earlier. Everything since mom has just been hard, Tia confides. Don't mention it. I think you're doing great, all things considered. Tia smiles up at her friend. It's only because I have you, Tia tells her. Kiki can feel her stomach get that warm and fuzzy feeling she always gets whenever Tia compliments or praises her. Kiki wants to say something funny or kind in return, but she draws a blank. Feeling frustrated, Kiki excuses herself. I'll be back in a few. Tia opens up her most recent notebook and writes a note to herself that reads, Visit library tomorrow to research dreams and out-of-body experiences. 
She stops writing. Hmm. There has to be a logical explanation for all this. She thinks. Maybe I'm so distraught that I imagined that priest today. And the ghost. And the blood lake. Her thumb strikes the top of her pen several times before she stops to make another note. Directly under her first note, Tia jots down, Look into the effects of grief and dissociation. Down the hall, Kiki is rummaging through her mini backpack she carries with her at all times. She isn't satisfied until she pulls out a small Ziploc baggie of loose and unlabeled pills and opens it up. She reaches for two small white pills and pops them in her mouth, dry swallowing them. She sits on Mrs. Johnson's bed, waiting another minute before reuniting again with Tia. You want to watch a movie or something? Fifteen minutes later, the popcorn is hot and perched in a bowl between Tia and Kiki on the couch. Both women are snug under a large quilted blanket, with Tia laughing at the dumbest of things she sees on the screen, and Kiki laughs right along with her, happy to witness her friend enjoying herself. Kiki sneaks a long glance at her best friend, and the warm and fuzzy feeling in her gut returns. Kiki dives her hand into the popcorn bowl and takes out a giant handful that she begins to munch on. Your hands better be clean, Tia remarks in a stern voice before turning to Kiki and laughing. Don't laugh. I know you're serious, Kiki chimes right back, knowing full well her bestie is the biggest germaphobe she's ever met. And you got nothing to worry about. These beauties are so clean I could... Kiki takes another big bite of popcorn before lightly licking the palm of her thumb. Eat off them. Tia and Kiki exchange a lighthearted laugh before getting engrossed back into the goofy comedy they are watching. Kiki desires to cozy up right next to Tia, but she resists. She doesn't want to draw any unnecessary attention to herself or her actions. She fears Tia will find out the truth about her, and the secret she's been holding onto for the last several years. Back when both women were in their early 20s, Kiki had become increasingly unnerved at the idea of Tia getting into a good university and feared she'd leave Erie and never look back. Tia has always been the type to keep herself busy as she loves to learn, and if she has a question about something, she won't stop her quest until she gets her answers. While Tia was always keeping busy, and remained so busy that boys didn't even register on her radar, Kiki felt like she had all the time in the world. So she went on a lot of dates. Most of them were okay, nothing to really write home about. It wasn't even so much about dating as it was having someone to hang out with. Kiki could never seem to shake the feelings of loneliness that haunt her. There were a few guys that she regretted going out with. One guy in particular was the first person to introduce her to ecstasy, then some psychedelics, and then heroin. She learned rather quickly that heroin was not for her, but Kiki loved taking pills. Tranquilizers were made for her. Anything to dull the loneliness. Anything to help her sleep soundly because it was while she was seeing all these guys that she began to come to terms with the fact that she was not sexually attracted to any one of them. If anything, the more she gave a guy, the less happiness she felt. When Kiki would become aroused, it would only be when she thought of a woman, and her intense desire for Tia continued to grow. She desperately wanted to share with Tia that she's gay, though, for some reason, she could never quite say the word out loud. Kiki would laugh to herself often, thinking that of course you want the one woman you can't have. Tia has been a sister to her almost her entire life, and yet, the yearning would not subside. Unless she was high out of her mind, then everything was fine. As far as Kiki knows, Tia is completely unaware of Kiki's feelings towards her and her long-standing addiction to tranquilizers. 
popping pills help to curb her loneliness and her unsatisfying love life. Though, she thinks if she can just settle in enough at the Johnson's house, she can kick her drug habit for good. Kiki knows she can beat this problem as long as she has Tia. It's just... Tia can never know about it. Tia could never understand. And if she ever did find out what I've been doing, then she would never really love me. Kiki convinces herself. Tia senses Kiki watching her, and Tia flashes her best friend a warm smile, clearly enjoying the movie and keeping her mind occupied. Both women may have their secrets, hiding truths they believe the other couldn't handle. What they are unaware of, though, is that all secrets surface at some point, and they'd have to face their demons far sooner than they could have ever imagined. As the sun sets behind the small forest of trees in Hugh's backyard, Rio gazes in awe at the pink cotton candy clouds lingering in the sky. Two empty plates with small remnants of barbecue sauce sit on a tray table several inches away from Hugh and Rio, who are gently rocking back and forth on Hugh's swing. If I would have known how amazing of a cook you are, I would have told you I liked you a lot sooner, Rio jokes. Hugh smirks. Nah. <laughs> The girl did all the real work. Hugh stares out past the trees, his arm affectionately around Rio. The two sit in silence for several minutes before Hugh asks, Rose, I want you to tell me who you think would pull such a prank, as you call it. Oh boy, he's not going to let this go. Who the hell can I say? Who do I even know besides Anita, Hugh, Darren, and Steve? I mean... That creepy priest seems like a solid guess, but I have no idea who he is or if he's actually real or not. That leaves... My best guess would be Tony? He's Anita's boyfriend, and he's made it very clear he's not a fan of me. Rio replies, trying to keep the situation as minimal as possible. Is that so? Hugh asks, his tone becoming stern. Hugh, please... Let's try to forget about what happened. It's really not a big deal. He's just an idiot, and I'm sure something like that wouldn't happen again, Rio says. What if shit like this keeps happening? What will I do? She thinks. Not a big deal. He leaves the door to your house wide open and leaves a threat on one of your bedroom posters. I'm sorry, Rose, but this is a big deal. I'm not about to let a grown man threaten you like that. And what about that priest? You don't think he would have done that? You said you didn't know him, right? R right, Rio replies meekly, wanting to drop this subject. Hugh, please, it's a beautiful night, and would Tony send that priest to my store? What's he trying to do, intimidate you at your home and at your place of work? Hugh's nostrils flare as he speaks, his anger rising. Hugh, I don't even know for sure if it was Tony. Please, can we just... Hugh stands up, the swing jerking backwards, causing Rio to forcefully lurch forward. Hugh apologizes before continuing. This is all unacceptable. If he's sending people to my store, our store, then he got me involved whether he likes it or not. No one is going to threaten you under my watch. Where does Tony live? We're going to pay him a visit. Hugh, no, come on. Let's just enjoy the evening together. 
Rio insists. Hugh ignores her, grabbing his car keys and going straight to his vehicle. The entire way to Tony's house, Rio pleads with Hugh to just drop it. He's not worth it. He's a piece of shit, and I know that, and he doesn't scare me. This is only going to hurt Anita, not him. Rio goes on and on about all the many reasons they should just turn around and head back to Hugh's place, but he doesn't hear any of it. His anger appears to rule him, and Rio feels forced to sit by and watch whatever is about to play out. When the two pull up to Tony's small one-story house, there's a chain-linked fence all around the front yard, and Hugh parks across the street and immediately heads to the back door of Tony's property. Rio is right behind him, still trying to talk him out of any unnecessary confrontation. Hugh, please. This probably won't even do any good. Rio begs, pulling on his arm. Hugh ignores her pleading and bangs loudly on the back door. A menacing bark from a seemingly large dog answers Hugh's knocks from the other side of the door. After several seconds, they can hear the sounds of a chain lock start to unlock. Another moment and Tony's head pokes out from the door. When he sees Rio, he comes outside and shuts the door behind him, the barking only getting louder and more frantic. Shut the fuck up! Tony yells, and the dog on the other side of the door gives a final gruff growl before their silence once more. What's going on, Rio? Everything okay? Tony asks, not super friendly, but with a general tone of slight concern. Anita's not home. She's working late at the vet's tonight, he says before Rio has a chance to answer his first question. Everything's not okay, Hugh says, stepping closer to Tony. Tony's eyes narrow and he takes a defensive step towards Hugh. The two men are eerily close to one another, making Rio extremely uneasy. What's the problem, hombre? Tony asks, his eyes piercing. His fully straight back and arms at his side indicate he's ready for a fight. Hugh's one hand is already balled into a fist, and Rio anticipates this escalating quickly. Guys, please, Rio starts to say, before Hugh interrupts by saying, The problem, man is that I don't like your attitude or the fact that you're threatening Rose, Hugh replies, his body stiff and unmoving. Tony's eyebrows furrow instantly in confusion. What the fuck are you talking about? Tony glances over at Rio. What's he talking about? What I'm talking about is between me and you, so keep her out of this, Hugh says angrily, his voice rising. I don't know what you're talking about, Tony replies. I've never threatened her. She's like Anita's kid. And I wouldn't fuck with her. Honest, he says, seeing Rio's worried expression and feeling slightly hurt that Rio would think he could do something like that to her. See? It wasn't him, Hugh. Let's go. Tugging once again at Hugh's arm. Hugh and Tony continue to stare at each other. Jesus Christ, this isn't a standoff! Rio exclaims, causing both men to finally breathe. If I find out you had anything to do with the threatening note or the fake priest at the store... I will fucking end you. Do you understand? Hugh snarls, his eyes bloodshot with rage. If I ever see you again on my property, I will fucking kill you, Tony spits back, the veins on his bald head throbbing. Is that a promise? Hugh asks with an amusing smirk. Tony eyes Hugh up and down, trying to figure out what this guy's deal is. Yeah, now get the fuck away from my house. Diablo hates trespassers, Tony remarks, pointing at his door, clearly referring to his dog. This is all just a bad misunderstanding. No one needs to threaten anyone. We're all adults here, 
So let's just move on and pretend like nothing ever happened, Rio pleads with both of the hot-headed men. Hugh takes one more step towards Tony, getting right into his face. If I ever see you anywhere near her, or if you so much as look at her cross-eyed, I will laugh as I kill you and your stupid fucking dog. Hugh hisses through clenched teeth before grabbing Rio's arm and pulling her back towards his car. Rio turns back to Tony and mouths, I'm so sorry, before following Hugh back into his vehicle. Hugh, Rio starts to say something, but Hugh revs the engine and purposefully drives to plow into Tony's fence. Hugh, stop! Rio screams, and Hugh swerves his car just in time. Hugh misses Tony's fence by an inch, leaving tire tracks and an aggressive amount of mud behind them. Hugh huffs as he drives, and once Rio's heart starts beating at a normal speed again, she yells, You need to pull over, now! Hugh obliges, but refuses to look Rio in the eyes. He stares straight ahead, and for the first time since she's known him, Rio is afraid of Hugh and his anger. What the hell was all that back there? Are you out of your mind? Still staring straight ahead, Hugh responds with, I'm sorry, Rose. It's just... The thought of that prick trying to scare you just makes me so... Hugh stops, and Rio can see the redness return in his eyes. Tony's a real asshole. I'll give you that. But what you pulled back there was outrageous. You could have gotten arrested, Rio explains, her voice distraught. Maybe I'm better off staying at my place tonight. You, your anger, it's freaking me out. Hugh finally turns to her, his eyes still red, only this time, it's not anger she's witnessing. Rose, I'm sorry. I just want to protect you. Please, stay with me tonight. I realize I may have made things worse for you. And I don't want you to be alone if Tony or any of his strange friends come after you. This is my mistake, Hugh says, gingerly moving his right hand to hold hers. Rio resists for a moment before giving in. As much as his anger scares her, there is something almost sexy about his willingness to take on a guy larger than him for the sake of keeping her safe. Fine. I'll stay. As long as you promise to drop this crazy shit for the rest of the night. Hugh's expression softens as he smiles at her. Of course. He rubs the back of her hand before letting go and driving the two of them back to his house. Later that night, Rio falls asleep on Hugh's chest, the two cuddled together on Hugh's large recliner. Hugh slowly inches away from Rio, needing to get up and set for bed and to ensure everything is in place for the store tomorrow. He shivers once he's up from the chair, already missing the warmth the two of them had had there together. He smiles as he covers Rio up with a blanket from the back of the couch, his eyes full of adoration. Hugh goes over to his kitchen table and sorts through the paperwork. He grimaces when his eyes land on the obituary, his heart instantly heavy. He peers back at Rio, then stares at the old newspaper clipping with a look of sheer disdain. How could she ever love me if she knew what I've done? I'm a monster, Hugh thinks, sick to his stomach at the thought of Rio finding out who he really is. The Tia and Rio Show is created, written, and produced by Callie Oberlander. Tia is performed by Julie McCormick. Rio and all other voices that are not Tia are performed by Callie Oberlander. Sound design, editing, and music are by Eric Brown. 
My writing continuity checkers and my biggest cheerleaders are Jules Johnson and Hilary Roback. And if you've made it this far, please remember, even in the darkest times, there is always hope. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.